0: Hey there, welcome to The Exam Room. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Vardabedian, a.k.a. Dr. V from 33 Charts. As part of our new series, How I Got Here, we're exploring the lives of doctors who have taken really unusual paths. I was able to have a crazy good conversation with a medical resident and cartoonist from New York, Dr. Mike Natter. It was a pleasure to explore cartooning, art, and the problems we're facing with our culture of medicine. Dr. Natter is part of a new generation of creatives who are showing us a very different side of what it is to be a physician and a human. Join us and dig into this one and see what's possible when we open up ourselves to our passions and our talents. Enjoy. Dr. Mike Natter, welcome to the exam room and thank you for being part of our special series, How I Got Here.
1: Dr. V, it is an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: So, um, we're exploring, as I discussed with you, the lives of doctors who have taken unusual paths. And uh, of course, as one of Twitter's favorite physician artists, you certainly fit into this category, I think. And so tell us what you do.
1: Uh, well, thank you. Um, so I my background is in art. I, I grew up what I would call as really an art kid, and I kind of went into medicine through a very... Uh, kind of rambling uh, side road um, after finishing undergrad as an art major and then doing a post-bac and coming into medicine and found that it was really my art skills that kind of helped me learn and teach and really comprehend medicine. And I kept doing that. And surprisingly enough, it actually was uh, resonating with not only myself, but my colleagues and my patients.
0: So you were, let's take it before I knew you as a, as an artist uh, during internal medicine residency. Um, before you went to medical school, were you actually? Uh, I, I know you, there was there was Captain Langerhands, right? The cartoon
1: that you did for uh, for kids with diabetes. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So my so my background, we can actually, I guess that we can do the origin. The origin story would be: um, I grew up in New York, and when I was nine, I uh, unfortunately fell into a, a DKA and was in a coma, and um, mm. it was a really horrific time for me. But it also was kind of this. Eye-opening experience of physiology and medicine, and I gained this appreciation for it. So, you know, being a type one diabetic is an everyday, every hour kind of struggle. Um, that if if you are, you know, a fellow chronic disease sufferer, you you kind of know that. Um, and I wanted a way to communicate to fellow kind of children or anyone really that that appreciates comic books how to understand what the pathophysiology of it really is. And so I, I made this comic book called Captain Langerhans.
0: And so this, you, but you were into art before this, right? You, were you, were you doing it formally or you were taking classes and you just, what did that look like before you get to medical school?
1: Yeah. So my, my whole life I was drawing and, you know, I I like to say Dr. V that I think everyone was, you know, if you ask, Anyone, what they did when they were a kid. Everyone was coloring and drawing, and then I think something really sad happens, and people stop. Right, and I right. think there's a right. It's 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 really a shame, um, I, and I think there's a multitude of reasons for that. You know that we can get into um, now or another time, but you know, briefly, I think there's some societal pressures that push people toward different career paths, and then I also think we develop a bit of a. Ego or a psyche when we realize that that drawing that you made that you thought was quite good that your mom pinned on the refrigerator door is actually not that good. So you, you gain a little bit more of that um, kind of uh, sensitivity, I guess. Well, let's unpack that a little bit, Mike. Um, so I'll tell you what
0: it was like when I was a kid growing up. We would go to my grandparents' house. Well, we did it at our own house as well. But the minute we'd walk in the door with my grandparents, my grandfather would give me and my two brothers a clipboard with a small pile of paper and we would, we would just draw and just create stuff on white sheets of paper. And you're right. There's something happens along the way where that ability to explore and have that kindergarten mindset it gets beaten out of us and certainly as we get into medicine, all that gets knocked out of us. So, how does this happen?
1: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and I, I'm going to actually ask you a question, Dr. V. When you were given that clipboard, was there any hesitation or did you just went ahead and you put the pen to paper?
0: put the pen to, pen to paper pencils actually sharpened pencils uh, but there wasn't any hesitation it was just I'm trying to think back what it was like, but it was kind of like a kind of like a brain dump and I don't know, but yeah it was it was it was an open palette you know
1: yeah and and I think that's true for everyone when they're that age where there is no hesitation, there is no barrier you feel free and liberated and creative. And it's very natural and very organic. And I think something really terrible happens as we get older. Um, like I said, I think there's a multitude of pressures and reasons for this, but we don't really use that part of our brain and we don't really value that in society as much as I think we should. And you said it as well, which is also kind of a shame is uh, medicine. I feel like you need to kind of demonstrate this, um, huge array of skills and talents outside of just science to get into these medical schools and then once you're yeah. in them it's almost like you know everyone has to jettison all of the non essential things and it's really i think a terrible shame yeah you
0: know i think in medicine we certainly are trained to walk in lockstep and that kind of starts during the pre medical years right and then we 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 just want to we want to do whatever it takes to to follow in lockstep and get to that next level let me ask you about your How this has been kind of accepted or not accepted because all this free sketching and free thinking and making and lack of lockstep has to probably make some people around you like your leaders or mentors uncomfortable. Has there been any pushback to you sketching in the ICU or sketching on rounds?
1: Uh, it's funny you say that because I also was expecting more pushback than I've been receiving and quite the opposite has been happening. I think people have really approached my approach with open arms and are really um, see the value in it, especially now. Um, when I was in medical school, I went to Thomas Jefferson in uh, Philadelphia and um, I was really um, taken aback at how much they valued and Uh, help me to kind of continue doing what I was doing. I think in the very beginning, you know, in the library when I was studying, I think I had a lot of colleagues kind of look at me and be like, oh, that's a great drawing. But, you know, when are you actually going to sit down and study? Like, what what a waste of time. But that's a great drawing. That's cool. But you're going to fail the test kind of thing. And it was, to my surprise as well, that I was doing better um, on my on my uh, exams and, and understanding the material when I was able to translate the medical jargon into my own visual language. So we you obviously maybe were using art to draw the Krebs
0: cycle, I would imagine, or draw the anatomy, maybe right?
1: Mm-hmm, that's correct, or, or really anything and everything that could lend itself. So I, I kind of made a, a deal with myself because you know, as 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 most of us can remember, med school can be quite a stressful and isolating situation, mm-hmm. um, and I was becoming quite uh, you know sad. You know, sitting in the library for hours on end and um, not really feeling the same kind of romance that I had when I used to think about medicine. So I decided that I would. I basically bought sketchbooks and I tossed my notebooks and I said, whatever I can do that will be visual in any sense of the word, I will do. And it was really the kind of quick comics and jokes that I would make from the material that would stick with me and was fun and cute. And these are the things that I still remember to this day as a third-year medical resident that I was drawing four, five, six years ago. So did you keep these to yourself? Uh, Was
0: this something that you'd hang on your wall or keep in a notebook? Or did you ever disseminate this to your
1: classmates at mid-school? So initially, I was actually a little bit embarrassed by it because the I kind of thought well, you know, you know, medical medical school is a very serious place and button down. Yes, button down and god forbid someone saw me doodling, you know, you know, talking yeah. about the Krebs cycle like how dare you. So I was uh, I wouldn't say ashamed, but I was definitely keeping them to myself and then slowly but surely as I started to do better on my exams with that help, I started to post them initially on my Facebook um, more to show my non-medical friends stuff because it kind of translated to breaking down these very complex topics into Terms, um, and then it, it kind of dawned on me when a when a classmate came up to me after an exam one day and said, "You know, you natter, you got me a couple points on that test because I remembered that comic you drew." Wow! So that was uh, that was pretty fun for me, and that made me realize that maybe there's something here.
0: You know what's so interesting? Um, I guess I have the most unique perspective since I was in medicine before, actually before the internet was a thing. I know that's hard to believe, <laughs> but. There have been physician artists out there even prior to the internet, but what happened with the democratization of media, with social websites and uh, social media and the capacity to share on networks, we've come to see a side of physicians that previous generations had never seen. and We now see that we've got cartoonists, designers, poets, makers, hackers, writers, and this whole population of people who quietly sketch and ideate and write stuff. Uh, previously never saw the light of day. And I like to think of this as medicine's growing creative class. And you're like, you're part of the creative class in medicine, which I think is so
1: cool because all your stuff is out there and all you guys can get together. Well, thank you. And I, I agree with that. And I think you're absolutely right. I think this is always there all along. It's just this this democratization of being able to kind of show it and create these communities. It's so true. And and I think, I think there's also this idea of there's the like, quote unquote, soft sciences or the soft skills of medicine and um, art and medicine are obviously one and the same, but somehow they seem to be on two different tracks. And I actually very firmly believe that we can learn from art how to practice better medicine. And so I think that's one and the same. And there are a lot of institutions that believe in that. Like my old institution at Jefferson, my alma mater, they have a um, design thinking curriculum. With Bon With Bon Dr. Bon who's phenomenal, who's currently working on a lot of really exciting projects with his 3D printing and all of it. And I think that is really a brilliant thing when you're taking medical health problems and solving them with the design thinking mindset. So who the CEO of Jefferson is Steve Clasco, right? Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, this culture at Jefferson that he's cultivated, you know, by supporting and promoting Bon Coup and creating this sense that you weren't embarrassed when you were in medical school is really a top down phenomenon, I think. I agree. So are you I guess when you're doing your stuff in medicine are you ever at a point where you can't wait to get back to your your iPad or your sketch pad? Are you like looking – is that the thing you really want to do every day?
1: Yeah, I, it's it's one of these things where I, – I like to describe it. When I was in art school, I would only describe myself – or like when I'm around my art friends, i describe myself as a doctor. And then when I'm around my med school friends or my other doctor friends, I only describe myself as an artist. It's kind of this whole imposter syndrome thing where I, I always want to be doing the other thing because I never feel like good enough to be in the circle that I'm in. Interesting. Right now, I'm at a point in my life where I've realized that my art is entirely informed by my medicine and my medicine is very much informed by my art. So they're kind of tethered together in a way that I can't separate them out. And I get a lot of my ideas, a lot of my inspiration from what I see in the hospital, whether it be a patient interaction or something that I've, you know, a fellow taught me or whatever it may be. And it kind of you know, pops into my head in much more visual ways.
0: We're all artists, aren't we, on a certain way?
1: I think so. And you know, it's a matter
0: of, I think, for all of us for uh, – it's up to us to find it. Um, have you ever heard of Austin Cleon? I have not, no. He is a New York Times bestselling author of Steal Like an Artist. You have to look it up. But he wrote a book called Keep Going, 10 Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad. And uh, he would love your story, by the way. Anyway, in the first chapter of Keep Going – uh, he recounts the part of a 1993 comedy film called Groundhog Day, which was probably made before you were born.
1: No, no. I'm I'm a little older than you think. I'm, I'm familiar.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. And Bill Murray asked two drunks in a bowling alley, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing you did mattered? And Cleon says, how you answer this question is your art. Mm. And it's true. It's like. I consider myself a communicator who became a physician as opposed to a physician who became a communicator. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at the the thousand posts that I've done on my on my blog. It's it's what I think about, and I mean, I'm I consider myself a creative, not in, in an artist way, but we have to have this outlet of this piece of ourselves in order to stay sane, especially given how industrialized medicine is becoming. Right?
1: Absolutely, and I think I think there's so many avenues too. Like I think. Fundamentally, art is a form of communication, and so if you take that and you take what medicine is, we have to communicate to our patients, and we have to literally translate very complex topics into something they can understand and take home. We have to communicate to our colleagues in signing out and deciphering information. There's there's so many things that need to be done with communication, and I always like to think about, you know, when I was an undergrad or med school, and I would buy myself a piece of IKEA furniture, and you pull out the instructions and it was entirely pictures. There was no words. And it all made sense. You could totally put it together with just pictures. And to me, that was brilliant because you're taking something, a task of putting something together to create a product and you're making it as simple as possible into a universal language. It doesn't matter what language you speak, if you're illiterate, if you're a kid, if you're an adult. It makes sense. And I don't see why we need to use... 18-syllable words and um, make things more complicated than they need to be, especially for someone like myself who never considered myself uh, you know, a highbrow academic or a overachieving person. And so in breaking it down to that level, I think it makes it more universal.
0: So I sent you a link to some of the whiteboard drawings that I've done. And for the listeners, if you just Google whiteboard medicine or go to 33 charts and search for creativity or whiteboards... I have these enormous whiteboards in every exam room and as the listeners will see and Mike as you've seen, I, I do these sketches of intestinal tracts and I do kind of sketch noting and graphics and I, I'll tell you the response by families has been crazy. They all take pictures of it. I think that we're, we're we're so used to going to the doctor with such poor communication when a doctor can simply make a bullet list or a picture of a stomach and it it really is transformative when we can just communicate in this basic way.
1: I couldn't agree more. And, and I could speak from experience seeing your whiteboard drawings. They are truly phenomenal. You're quite the talent. And I, I think there's something really ephemeral about drawing on a whiteboard that is also really approachable that people really like. And I also love, um, you know, as a resident, I have an outpatient clinic, uh, most of my time is inpatient, but on my outpatient clinic, there's this very uh, available canvas, which is the paper on the on the exam chair. Um, so I love to break things down for my patients by drawing them. And what I always tell my friends and my, my friends in medicine in particular, they always say, Oh, I, you know, I wish I could draw good and I wish I could explain like that. And the truth of the matter is, and I say this to everyone, the product is not as, ex- not as relevant as the process. The process is what's going to a, get it into your head if you're trying to teach yourself something, but B the rapport that you're connecting with your patient and creating at that time by that process is is beneficial. And even if it doesn't look good and you ball it up and throw it away at the end, I do think that there's a huge benefit from doing that. Right.
0: Exactly. Right. Just just for
1: grinnies, uh, and I think i messaged you once in the
0: past on this, what are the tools that you use, Mike? Are you are you pen and paper or do you use an iPad with Procreate or what do you do?
1: I very recently graduated. I got my big boy pants on. I started, this, uh, started using an iPad with Procreate, but that's very, very recent. And I'm still – I love it and it it, it streamlines the process quite a bit, but I still am old school in many ways. I I love the feeling of pen on paper. I love the friction. I love that resistance. I love when the pen's ink isn't quite all there. I I, like like seeing that process. So I I still very much prefer that, but for time and for um, ease of digital stuff, I I have been using Procreate, which I love, um, and I find it very seamless. But when I had more time and when I was doing more like true... Um, kind of art for art's sake, I used to make very large charcoal portraitures and drawings on very, very large scale um, pieces. As a New York City resident, I have very limited space. And as a uh, house staff resident, I have very limited time. So unfortunately, I haven't had much time for those. Um, but when I do sit down to do something a little bit more finished, I like these Pigma Micron pens. They come in different sizes and they have beautiful archival ink. So those are, those are good go-tos. There's something strange about changing your medium. You know, my interface is a
0: keyboard with a screen very often. uh, I write on a thing called Ulysses app, but there's sometimes when I'm stuck that I will take to the whiteboard or take to my, my large oversized notebooks I like to carry with me. And I'll sometimes mind map and sketch and brainstorm on paper. And there's something about the different medium that brings things out that wouldn't come out when I type.
1: Yeah, I think it, I could be getting this anecdote wrong, but I think it was Einstein who would play the piano or the violin, and that's when he would kind of solve his mathematic problems. I think there's mm-hmm. kind of exercising slightly different parts of your brain or, or, you know, kind of allowing the bow to rest and untying that bow to allow it to become taut again. I think you need to kind of futz around with that. And I, I couldn't agree more. There's something very nice to that. Mike, right, tell me a little bit
0: about your artistic process. Do you carry an iPhone or a notebook so that when you're on rounds, you see something and you, you know, you're going to do that like later tonight or something. Do you, do you capture, is that part of your process?
1: Um, Sometimes. I wish I was more systematic about it. Uh, there are times when it's always the, f- the funniest times when I think my best ideas come to fruition. So right. I'll be on like a 28-hour call and I'll find 15 minutes to lay down. And as I'm trying to drift off to sleep, I'm jolted awake with these brilliant ideas, or it's what I think are brilliant ideas at the time. I'll, I'll jot them down on my iPad, but uh, not my iPad, my iPhone. But uh, what I find actually is... Um, it's when I'm putting the least amount of effort into things that they seem to flow the best. And so when I'm on rounds, particularly in like the CCU or the or the ICU, um, I like to draw the person presenting. And what it does for me is it allows me to really take in what they're saying. Uh, but then I can encapsulate kind of pearls that they might bring up or the attending might say. Um, and it creates these really interesting kind of chronologic visual diaries of my experience. Um, but then uh, unfortunately, and I think they tend, I, I like them because they're very um, in the moment, but then I tend to like, you know, they're on the back of my sign out so they'll get tossed in the garbage or shredded or I'll throw them in my pocket and forget about them. Oh, no, don't do that. I know. I had a I had a moment the other day where I went to go visit a friend to bring some coffee to them and they're in the CCU and I looked up on the board there and someone had tacked a bunch of my old <laughs> illustrations up yeah. on the on the board there. It's pretty funny to see that.
0: Yeah. And so let me just get into your web presence. Do you have, after you create something, where do they live beyond your own pad? I know you're very active on Instagram. I know you share stuff on Twitter. Do you have a core place on the web where you put your stuff or
1: it's a scattershot? So, you know, I've been meaning to try and build a website and and be a little bit more systematic with my stuff. But uh, at this point, it's really just Instagram and Twitter where you're going to find the bulk of my stuff, um, which I kind of see as an extension of like almost like my mind. It's just what's going on in my mind at the time and my way of emotionally grappling with what's happening or teaching or making jokes. Um, and. It's funny because I do it really for myself, and then I find I'm actually very honored and flattered that there seems to be a resonance with it outside of in that community. But I, I do sell prints of my work through a website called Art Sugar, and Art Sugar was a, a friend of mine who, who grew up in the city as well, um, whose platform I really like because a piece of every proceed goes to a charity of my choice, which is the Juvenile Diabetes Foundation. So I feel like I'm giving back a little bit with each each uh, you know, purchase there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, again, if you uh, do check out Austin Kleon, uh, he shares a belief like me that you should have a uh, piece of real estate on the web that is yours so that we could all follow what you're doing because it's so amazing. And
1: um, so something to think about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I would like to, to kind of get that together one day. So there are frustrated artists out
0: there. There are amazingly talented medical student artists and pre-meds what advice would you have for others or even, honestly, there's a whole group of uh, health professionals outside of physicians and nurses and what have you. What advice would you have for others who incline inclined towards, you know, art or visual creativity in healthcare?
1: I think when I was growing up and when I was starting this process of trying to get into medicine, I was under the impression that it's one or the other and they're two very different things. And what I've realized now that I'm almost done with residency is that your artistic and creative side is one of your biggest assets and not only the didactics of medical school or nursing school or pa school but it's also going to help you be a human being and help you relate to your patients and help you explain things to them yourself and your colleagues and that to me is, is going to be more important than any step score you get any board score you get any honors it means so much more because it means that you know how to think and communicate and solve problems and relate to people and that for me is what it means to be a really great physician so would you would you advise
0: people to take the course that you've taken which is to make this part of your daily workflow and maybe share it with others uh if people really want to up their game should they be taking classes should they be i mean what do you think
1: I think it's up to the individual. I think if someone wants to take classes, I think they should take it not to get better at making their little doodle notes necessarily, but to do it because it's a very cathartic exercise as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they have the time, I think it's all about understanding how to break down your time and the cost benefit of that. Some people, they take a very long time to draw and paint and um, it could detract from other things, which may be a problem. And the other thing I noticed is, uh, and I'm sure you've picked up on this too, I, I would imagine that in medicine, there's a lot of kind of OCD type A perfectionists and most of these people have been nothing but the best of the best their whole lives. So you telling someone that's been an A student their whole life who's done nothing other than, you know, top, top, gold, everything to draw something and they're not necessarily inclined to be drawers, they're going to sit there and, and kind of futz with it until they think it's perfect and then it won't get perfect and then they'll be distraught over it. And I think breaking down that barrier is first and foremost in recognizing about the process. Like I said before, um, and I think if you can get past that hurdle, I think people could really benefit from this.
0: Yeah, the management consultant Seth Godin calls that polishing, where we sit and we just obsess over the details. And he emphasizes the importance of shipping, which is to take one of your drawings and throw it out into the world and see what people think of it.
1: Yeah, I like that. Or, or like what you do, I think. I think if you if you have a beautiful piece of white paper in front of you, it's very intimidating. But if you walk up to a whiteboard, and you just you, you know it's going to be gone anyway. You know, it's that that idea of ephemeral. Any any closing thoughts, uh, Mike,
0: anything that you would share? Or you? It's been such a great conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm honored to be on. I'm really glad there are people like you who are just showing that there is no such thing as a prototypical physician or person in healthcare. I think it's important that we recognize that there's a lot of strengths in what are deemed as the non-traditional, but I think are actually much more traditional. I think we all share some talents and hidden strengths that we should celebrate and I think are going to make medicine and healthcare continue to progress. So thank you for having me. I do want to make sure that all the medical students and pre-medical students know that never hinge your self-worth on any kind of score or rejection. I was rejected from every single medical school I applied to with the exception of one. I was told numerous times I would never get in anywhere. I was told I wouldn't be a good doctor. Wow. It was, I had a lot of doors that were shut in my face and I was very fortunate and I believed all those things and felt like it reflected on who I was as an intellect and an academic and a physician. And I'm realizing now with every progressive year of my training that how well you do on tests counts a little bit less and how well you can interact with other people counts more and more. Um, and I was very fortunate that I was able to, to kind of go on and, and do what I'm doing. Dr. Mike Natter, thank you for joining me in the exam room as part of our series, How
0: I Got Here. This has been really such uh, an amazing conversation. And let me say that if our medical culture fostered the human elements that define every one of us, I think we'd all be in a far better place. So thank you, Mike, for serving as a shining example of what's possible when we open ourselves to our passions and talents.
1: Thanks, actually. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out more stuff like this on 33charts.com and follow and like us on 33 Charts on Twitter and Facebook. Thank you for joining us in the exam room. If you like what you heard here, please rate the program, review us, or let folks know about us. And if you have any really cool ideas that you'd like discussed here, please feel free to let us know. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.